A few weeks ago, there was a new movie that came out that's been getting very, very mixed reviews. It's not The Hobbit for all of you young people who went to the movie. I think the name of that was The Five Armies. Is that correct? That's not the one I'm talking about. Okay, This is another one. This is one that's became very well known. It's called The Exodus, Gods and Kings. Uh, it's going to be an interesting movie. It's already it's get Ridley Scott is the guy who puts it all together, and he has you know, made some terrific movies. And now he decided to deal with what's going on with The Exodus, which has a lot of big importance for us. And um, the movie, again, is called Exodus, Gods, and Kings. And I haven't seen it. I probably won't see it. Not because I'm opposed to it, I guess, but it's just not my genre. What is interesting about it is that there's been so much confusion, but there's also been a lot of discussion that's going on about it. And part of the discussion is the fact that it seems like what they're doing, the, the people who put this movie together, they seem to be doing everything they can to keep taking away anything that has to do with the supernatural. Well, they try to find some natural, well, it could have been that it happened this way or maybe that way, but rather than saying, hey, it was a miracle, well, they're not going there, two of the writers aren't. In fact, they've made it very clear. And so we, when you talk about Ridley Scott, he made it very clear. He said, I don't believe this stuff, this whole thing idea that we're talking about crossing the Red Sea and the water. I mean, honestly, you know, smart people don't believe things like that, and we know that can't be true. Very much very secular, as you might expect from him. Very much saying that, you know, it's a closed world. You can't get angels or things like that coming into a closed world. And it's kind of strange and it's kind of sad. But it's made a lot of Christians concerned as well, saying, why would they want to do this? Why could they not accept the, what the scripture tells us? I think even Cecil B. DeMille would be roll over in his grave if he knew what he was doing with this story about the Exodus. And it is very significant to us to be talking about it because we're in this time of the year where all this is happening, where we're thinking about all the good things that are happening, all these challenges that we have. But we come back to this and say, okay, when they say that it's not a big deal about taking the supernatural out of, your mo out of the movie, it is a big deal. Because the one thing that we certainly know from the, from the Old Testament is the fact that the exodus from Egypt was like the core, most amazing, significant thing that generations after generations would look back as, do you remember that time? Or do you remember when we read about that time when God was there and God had worked in a remarkable way? And what we want to do today is to look at a couple of these passages. And we're particularly going to be looking at some passages that deal with both the Old Testament and then a little bit too with how God worked with us as individuals. And so what we want to do is to be able to look at this story of Moses and the Exodus and you realize that the Bible is absolutely very clear about what happened. That God was working in a special way with his people. It was miraculous. How could they cross the Red Sea? Now, some of these people that are just so opposed to this, I mean, their idea of the Red Sea, I mean, what's going on is like, you know, three Jews and a rowboat, row you know, cross the river and they called that the event. Well, it wasn't that. And what we see in these passages, particularly here in the book of Exodus, it's just completely filled with miracle with this, with the, and with this. For example, um, Moses goes there and, hey, this bush is burning and it's not burning up. It's like, well, that's kind of weird. Then you find out he's got a rod that can turn into a snake and he can do and you, all these things. We see God supernaturally equipping him to be used by God 
in a way that has been encouragement and challenge for his people. And ultimately, we know the story. They were in, they'd been almost 400 years that they'd been slaves, and they'd been God, God was going to take them out through that. And it goes on with the story that tells about all the things that they went through and how God brought them to the other side. And so what it, that, that became for them the, the, sort of like the most significant part of the Old Testament, saying we keep looking back to that time when we remember that we were slaves in Egypt and then God has redeemed us and we have freedom to be able to serve the Lord as we want to do it. Turn with me, if you would, we're going to just do a couple passages to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 14. It's a very well-known chapter. Many of you know it very well. But turn, if you would, to Exodus chapter 14. In these previous chapters, it's been talking about how the plagues have gone through, the final one with the sun that caused the death. And then you have Exodus chapter 14. We're going to pick up the reading of that. And chapter, chapter 14, verse 10. Chapter 14, verse 10. This is describing the fact when now the army is coming after them to capture them and bring them back and make them put them back to be back into uh, to slight slavery. So we're reading in chapter 14. Verse 10, listen to as you, this. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and saw the Egyptians coming after them. Then the Israelites were terrified and they cried out to the Lord for help. They said to Moses, oh, is it because there's no graves in Egypt that you took us to die in this wilderness? What have you done by us by bringing us out to Egypt? Isn't this what we told you would happen in Egypt? Leave us alone so we may serve the Egyptians. Wouldn't it be better to, for, us to, for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness? You've got to think, what, what was Moses thinking at this point? Like, oh my goodness. I mean, like, they're ready to kill me for the fact that I'm the, I'm, I haven't brought them to this place. But notice verse 13. But Moses said, said to the people, now notice this phrase, don't be afraid. I don't know about you, but if I was one of those people trying to cross the Red Sea, I'd be very afraid. But he's telling him, don't be afraid. Stand firm, and listen to this phrase, see the Lord's salvation. This today, what we're doing in Advent number four, the theme of this is salvation. And it's a good one to have for the fourth week of Advent. Tell, tell about God's salvation. Here, it's talking about here. He said, stand up and see the Lord's salvation. He will provide for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You must be quiet. And so what we see is saying, listen, I know that you guys want to kill me. You think this is terrible. We're all going to die. Will you trust what God has said? You've seen the miracles of what he has already done. Why can you not believe this? Jump over, if you will, to the next chapter 15, often referred to the Song of the Sea. The Song of the Sea is a very well-known one, and you can hear in it a lot of phrases that we hear in the book of Psalms and we hear in the Old Testament as well. But Israel's song is chapter 15. And I want to just read a few verses, if you would. Chapter 15, verse 1, Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song for the Lord. They said, I will sing to the Lord, for he's highly exalted. He's thrown the horse and the rider into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Have you heard that phrase before? Coming right out of here. This is my God, and I will praise him. 
my father's God, and I'll exalt him. Verse 3, the Lord is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. He threw Pharaoh's chariots and his army into the sea. The elite of his officers were drowned in the Red Sea. The flood covered them. They sank to the steps like a stone. Lord, your right hand is glorious in power. Lord, your right hand shattered the enemy. You overthrew your adversaries by your great majesty. You unleashed your burning wrath. It consumed them like stubble. It goes on. It's a beautiful song. If you haven't read it in a long time, it's a beautiful one. But it reminds us again that for the people in the Old Testament, and in one sense for us as well, that event of the Exodus is the most significant event of which people look back and said, that's where we saw God do his miracles in a way that we knew that this was our God. And of course, even now for the New Testament for us, we look back on that and we see a God work there. But for us, it's no longer the Exodus as the primary one that we look at. We look ahead to what God has given us now. For us, it's Jesus Christ dying on a cross and the resurrection. That becomes the focal point of that which is significant for us. So what we want to do is spend just a couple minutes here making sure we understand the term that we're dealing with. Right in these passages is what we're working with. <coughs> Excuse me is God is working in his own way. Ever since the fall of Adam and Eve, ever since man had turned away by God, God had a plan to bring people back to relationship with him, to save them, to help them, to enable them. Recognizing the world is turned away from him, but God by his power is going to save. Now when we talk about salvation, so many of us have been in church for so long, we know what salvation means. I know what salvation is. You trust Jesus and you get a Christian. Yep, it's all true. The problem is, sometimes we've heard about that word, quote, salvation so many times, it goes in one ear and it comes right out the other ear. Because the word that's actually used here that talks about, we talk about Jesus, Yeshua, it has various meanings. It can mean the idea of prosperity. It can mean the idea of welfare. But the most significant way it used is to deal with the idea of deliverance, like we saw about at the Exodus, where God had worked with his people. And that's a very significant thing, because in there, his name is, we call about Yeshua. The Hebrew word for to, like, to, to rescue is the word Yasha. When you add it to it, it's Yeshua. Yeshua, it goes back to the idea of Yeshua, and like Jesus is our salvation. And it's kind of neat to think that the name of Jesus, Yeshua, Jesus, that's right there at the very middle of all that we do. And it is important. One biblical scholar put it this way, salvation is the overriding theme of the Bible. Let me repeat that. Salvation is the overriding theme of the Bible. And it is important. It's important for us because we recognize that God has worked in such a great way. God was not obligated to save anybody. He could justly have said, you know what? They've all turned away, as we read about, particularly in the book of Romans. All mankind has turned away from God. I could let them all just die and do nothing with them, or why not start over so we can do better the next time? But instead, God in his mercy reaches out to us and opens the eyes of the blind to see the glory of Christ and to come into full relationship with him. And so what we see in this passage here is how God is using God's realm of salvation to bring us, to deliver us, to bring us into where he wants us to be. 
Okay, real quick, one other passage I want you to tur turn with, and I know many of you have been reading this passage a lot. It's 2 Chronicles check -in chapter 20. I'm sure some of you have memorized it. I doubt it, but I haven't either. But anyway, here in Chronicles, there's this very interesting uh, situation that happens. This is years down the road from the time of King David. But they had a king who was pretty good. I mean, he wasn't great, but he was still good. And his name was Jehoshaphat. When's the last time you named your kid Jehoshaphat? Probably not too many. Jehoshaphat, you've heard that phrase, jumping Jehoshaphat. I don't know what that means, but somehow maybe Jehoshua was jumping. I don't know. But the point was, Jehoshaphat, excuse me, Jehoshaphat finds out he's got a big, big problem coming. It comes in chapter 20, we're in verse 6. If you don't have the passage, just listen if you would. This is 2 Chronicles chapter 20 verse 2 second chronicles chapter 20 if you don't have it just just listen people came and told jehoshaphat a vast multitude from the dead sea and from edom have come to fight against you they're already in chazon tamar that is in gedi a beautiful place i've been there a number of times at in gedi jehoshaphat was afraid so he resolved to seek the lord now you're going to see, you'd see in this passage, you continue with it, Jehoshaphat was pretty good, but not great. But one thing he did understand is, when I'm in trouble, my only hope is to seek the Lord. And so what it says in verse 3, Jehoshaphat was afraid, so he resolved to seek the Lord. So he proclaimed a fast for all Judah, who gathered to seek the Lord. They even came to all the cities of Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the Lord's temple before the courtyard. This is verse 6. Listen to what he said. Lord God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? And do you not rule over the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hand. No one can stop against, stand against you. Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel? before you gave it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They've lived in the land, and they've built you a sanctuary and for your name. And they've said, quote, If disaster comes on us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple before you. We will cry out to you because of our distress, and you'll hear our deliverance. And it goes on. He tells the passage how it goes on. He said, God says, okay, I'm going to deal with this. All these groups have gathered around him to destroy them, to destroy the temple, to destroy Judaism, destroy what's going on. They get up in the morning, and guess what? They're all gone. Or I should say, at least, they're all dead. Rather than fighting against Jerusalem, they fought against each other. And they come out, and there's all their weapons and the dead people there. And they recognize, <laughs> we never fought. The Lord told them that I will do the fighting. I will show my power and my ability to bring salvation, deliverance to your peeps, my people. And see, what we've got in this passage, we look back at the Old Testament, we think, yep, Exodus, that is the key one, that's the central one, that's the one we keep coming back to. That's true. Here's one sort of in the middle of the time of the kings, during the time of Jehoshaphat, where Jehoshaphat recognizes that he's, so, you know, he's done unless God does something significant. Now again, 
somebody did this, mentioned this just a minute before. Jehoshaphat was not considered one of the great kings. But what was important, he realized at least one thing. It was the only hope he had. He knew that the only thing he could have and what he could understand was the fact when God was going to have to do something big and he's going to have to do it soon because we're all about to die. And he humbles himself and the people humble themselves and they come to the Lord at the temple. And they tell the Lord, Lord, you are our one who is our deliverer. You are our savior. You're the one that gives us strength. And they come out the next day and look out around and go, they're all dead or are all gone. And once again, God's people are stopping and going, whoa. Who has the power to destroy a group of nations gathered together would have no problem taking out Jerusalem and the people. And God said, you will not. You will not do that. And they saw that God was with them. And it gave them that great, great opportunity to see God at work in his people. Let's jump from jumping Jehoshaphat to us. Because I want to ask this question, what does this mean to us when we think about this in terms of our situation, your situation, what we're at right now? I think that's a good question to ask ourselves at times. What do we think what God can do? What is it that God would be choosing to do for us? It was interesting, Kathy and I were, a little while back, we went to a pastor's gathering. Uh, it was a really good time. It was fun. And as time went on, people started sharing a little more about some of their challenges. Some of them were talking about the great things that God was doing in their life and their ministry. And some of them were talking about their child that had, they'd poured their life into it, but he'd turned away from the gospel, wanted nothing to do with it. Other people who talked about the fact that their son that they had, who had turned away 20 years later, kind of turned around and came back to faith in Christ. And you keep coming saying, Lord, why? Why does it take them so long? Why, why this? He doesn't do a lot of those why questions. He asks the question saying, will you follow me? And this is significant for us as people that are here today. Because the reality is, for all of us, we have no really hope other than Christ. What God has done for us through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the only hope that we can have, to know that we'll be with him forever. You know, the reality is, as we grow a little bit older, a lot of times things get a little more difficult. I saw um, a plaque that somebody said, said, old age ain't for sissies. That's probably a true thing. Often as we get older and our bones get a little more tired and we get a little more hard of hearing and we realize, you know what, uh, we're getting old. And for many people, particularly people who are getting particularly even more old, is the question of, am I going to be okay? Is there going to be somebody who's going to be watching over me? Is there anyone who's going to care about me? And it brings us down to this very question of saying, what if all my family dies or goes away, and what will be left for me? Those are fearful things for people that are getting older. Not for all, but for many. It's the question of when they end, when all those times come close to the end, what do you have that still endures? What you've got is the gospel. 
what you've got is Christ to give you the strength even when times are hard even when there's no one there to be with you to care for you the good news is the Lord says I will never leave you alone I will always be with you when we talk about salvation we can talk it in the big picture Exodus. We can took it in the time of the twin kings. We can look what happened with Jehoshaphat. God did it. What does God do with us as individuals? It still comes back to the same question. Our only hope is in God. It is the only one that we know that can redeem us, deliver us, bring us from the struggles to the day that we stand with him, with Christ forever and ever forever. Father, we thank you for this passage, or passages really that we looked at. We thank you particularly for the fourth week of Advent where the theme is all about this whole issue of the fact that you are our Lord. You are our Savior. You are Deliverer. We're grateful that we could be here together on this day and that we could be challenged but encouraged as well by the great Savior that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. And all this will give you great praise, for we ask this now in Jesus' name.